Well, uh, allow, allow me to uh, begin this morning and asking you to invite or inviting you to join me in turning to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, looking at just one verse, using this as the kind of a launching point for my message this morning, Luke chapter 6, verse 38. And I'll invite you to stand with me. If you have your Bibles, please turn there along with me. But hear God's word for us today. This is Jesus. He's preaching what is often referred to in Luke as the Sermon on the Mount, or Sermon on the Plain, I should say. In Matthew, he preaches a similar message called Sermon on the Mount, but this is the Sermon on the Plain. But this is what Jesus says. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap, for the, which the measure you use it will be measured to you. May God add his blessing to that word. You can be seated. Well, in this campaign, I, I, I started last week and I told you last Sunday that the truth is in our culture, we're afraid of commitment. And yet with the Generations of Faith campaign that we're involved in right now, I'm actually asking you, I have the audacity to ask you to actually make a commitment a commitment and you have the card and a brochure in front of you. We're gonna invite you to come together in November or November 20th on that Commitment Sunday. We even have the audacity to call it Commitment Sunday to make a three-year commitment that is over and above what you regularly give to the church so that we could take the next step. The next step of paying down debt, we, we built in 2016 a $3.2 million facility. We were able to raise and it was a miracle of faith, that $1 million then. But here, we'd like to raise another million dollars for this effort to, 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 to continue to pay that down. And I realize that when I ask you to make a commitment, that sounds kind of funny because commitment to us doesn't sound like freedom. Commitment means I'm giving up control. But I also need you to know that the Bible has a different view, in fact. Commitment is where we actually become more like God. If you think about it, God is a promise-keeping, commitment-making God. And so when we make commitments, we actually are stepping and making a step into his kingdom and become more like him. So the most important commitment you will ever make is that moment when you say, Lord Jesus, I make a commitment to you to serve you the rest of my days to invite you into my life knowing that you died on the cross for me and you rose again and you free me from sin I am yours you died for me I live the rest of my days for you that begins a walk of freedom because the truth makes us free but if there is one place where sometimes even as Christians where we struggle and we really desire freedom I think it's often in our, the area of our finances. It's kind of ironic, really, that we're talking about this this morning because I almost feel badly telling you about this, but my own ticket to financial freedom came this week. I, I didn't win or play the, the Powerball, okay, uh, last night. I, 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 don't, uh, I don't know, what, what was that? $1.5 or $6 billion or something like that? But I did get a letter in the mail, and I'm just kind of excited to share this with you. Uh, it, it said this. It said, Jeff W. Schultz, you have been pre-selected. 
Oh, well, that's cool. I've been selected before the others were selected, apparently. That's how good this is. And it said, you have been pre-selected with a new card from, and I'm not gonna name the bank because I don't wanna make you jealous, but it says, you can exercise your new financial freedom. People with outstanding financial credentials like yours deserve an outstanding credit card like ours. It's the platinum, gold, silver, double uranium card. Uh, you kind of have to keep it lined in your lead-based uh, wallet kind of a thing. But this is how the letter goes. It says, our credit line matches your financial intelligence. In other words, I get the smart rate reserved for smart people. And uh, dumb people, apparently, they don't qualify for this card. Plus, it says, with every dollar you spend, we will give you bonus points that will raise your credit ceiling. In other words, the more I borrow, if I borrow everything today, I'll be able to borrow more tomorrow. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> Goes on, with a great rate like this, it makes sense to use your card and use it often. The sooner you start using your card, the sooner you start saving. Wow, with this card, I can save. Jesus saves, how bad can this be, you know? Now, to give me even more freedom, no matter how much of their money I do use, they will let me make, listen to this, a minimum payment, just a fraction of what I actually owe them. This is cool, what a deal, right? There's some tiny print on the bottom that apparently is not all that important, so I'm not gonna bother with that. But this says, it is my ticket to financial freedom. Right here, this week, my goodness. You know, in 2019, the average American had about $10,000 in credit card debt. Now that's changes from time to time, but the interest rate is what, 24.99% then? It's probably a little higher now given interest rates have increased, but let's just use that simple figure of $10,000 that the average American owes on a credit card. So the minimum payment at that level you could make on that much debt is $213.58. $213.58 a month. That's not a big deal, right? You might be interested, if you make the minimum payment, how long does it take to be free and clear? Well, let's say you make the minimum payment every month, you never miss a single one, you're always on time, and you do this for a decade, 10 years. Well, after 10 years, how much have you paid? Well, you've paid that company $26,000, $26,930, and you only owe $11,790. Wait a minute, for 10 years I've been paying this minimum payment, working every month to pay it off, and I owe more than when I got started. Let's say you double your efforts. You say, I'm not gonna give up on this thing, so you go 20 years. You don't make a single minimum payment, and by 20 years, you've now paid $56,000 plus, and now you owe $13,000. But you're a person of perseverance. You keep going. So for 50 years, half a century, you're making a minimum payment every month, going at it. By year 50, 
you've paid $165,000, but you only owe $17,515. Does that sound like freedom? Would the company, would that bank deceive me, maybe? But you know, there is another way. It's an alternative to be sure. It's an alternative way to think, but it's deeply embedded in the scripture and in the kingdom of God. And it has to do with the role of commitment in our own financial lives. Jesus simply put it like this. He said, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus says there is a commitment that you can make that actually leads you to freedom. Give, and it will be given to you. Now, I want to say this, and hear me clearly. This is so very important in our day and age. Jesus is not giving us a sneaky way to get more money. He's not telling us how to, to figure out a way to get God to owe you and be obligated to give you more and more. There are a lot of preachers out there that will teach that. We call it the prosperity gospel. You probably know their names. They're on television all the time. And they do very well because they tell you if you give this much, God will give you. He obligated, he will do this and this and this. And so people give to them with greed in their own hearts and guess who gets rich? preacher God save us from that kind of deceit so listen Jesus is not telling us here how to get a bigger house and more income he's telling us listen your God is a generous God he's a good God God loves generosity and when we become generous people we step into a dynamic that makes us more like God. For God so loved the world, he gave. You know, think about that. That's his nature. That's who God is. Because he loves, he gives. And Jesus says, if you want to become more like God, you become a giver. And so he makes this very interesting statement. He says, for with the measure you use, it's going to be measured to you. In other words, and this is pretty simple, if I practice just a little generosity, I can expect to experience a small portion of the generosity of God, the kingdom of God that comes in faith and trust and joy and confidence in him. Or if I practice a whole lot more generosity, what's going to happen? I will enter into a much deeper experience of the kingdom of God, his presence, his joy, his life, including in my finances. So it seems to me a very good question to ask. A couple of weeks ago, I was preaching on, on the fact that blessed people give like God. I said, why do we have so much? That ought to be a question we often ask. Why do I have so much? But I want to give you another question to think about this morning, and it's this one. What measure will I use? For Jesus says, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you given it will be given 
So it makes sense, doesn't it? As Christians, we regularly take stock, we look at and we ask the question, what measure am I using? Is it a good measure? So what measure are you using this morning? Now, now, as a pastor, I've been around long enough to know that people often, when they grow spiritually, we tend to go through stages of generosity because we learn things as we grow in Christ. And, and so let's, let's look at those stages, but along the way, I want to ask you, which measure are you using? Let's start at the beginning. At the beginning, and there are a lot of people who are at the give nothing level. They just don't give. They don't give anything. And it's more people than you might guess, quite frankly. A sociologist from Notre Dame uh, named Christian Smith found that no less than one out of five U.S. Christians give away no money to charity whatsoever. 20% of Christians, I'm not talking about unbelievers, I'm talking about Christians who don't give to church or any other charity, nothing. People who, who give nothing, well, what's going through their minds? Well, they're not thinking about the fact that I'm not giving anything. They're, they're not really giving that attitude or going through that attitude. This is what's happening. They're thinking about what they don't have. They think about what everyone else has, but, but I don't have that. Until I do, I can't give. And they tend to live out of what's called a scarcity mindset and a fearful one. Well, you just never know. Boy, this economy, inflation, you just never know what might happen. They're afraid, and they never have enough. Never have enough by the way I think this is why giving is so very important for a Christian we overcome fear when we give Tom Getz our presiding elder and the one who plays the drums up here so well he sent me this quote this week it was a quote that said fear is having faith in the enemy fear is having faith in the enemy it's a bondage. But I can give because I'm not afraid. I can't give because I am afraid. That is a lack of faith. Listen, perfect fear casts out love. But the Bible says perfect love casts out fear. Man, when you realize that you are loved, God has claimed you as his own. You're a part of his kingdom. He's given you so much. My goodness, I can trust God that he has promised to take care of me. You're free. Free from fear. So listen, if, if that's you this morning, I just, I just want to say gently, that's not the kingdom of God. Not to be, at, to be at that level because give and it will be given to you with the measure that you use. But let's say, you know, you understand that and you begin to grow and you begin to be challenged. You say, I can't not give something. I gotta start giving something. And so many people move to the next level. What's the next level? Well, this is what we might call the occasional giving level. 
it's like if I'm here I'll give something if I'm here I'll give sometimes I'll give when I feel like it you know uh, when the pastor is really on target and he does a really good job I'll, I'll, I'll give something it, it, uh, there was a really effective ad on television with the, 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 with the, the children uh, maybe uh, that, that, that just moved me I'll give or uh, uh, those, uh, those poor puppies that found in the dump in the arms of an angel. You know, you've probably seen, seen those. Remember the days when we took an offering in church during worship? You know, we passed the plate and there'd be a moment in service and we don't do that because of COVID and we probably, I, I don't know, I go back and forth whether or not to go there. But you remember those days when the plate would be passed and how kind of awkward that might be if, if you came to church and you think, you know, I don't want someone beside me to think I'm, I'm cheapskate. So when the, the plate is passed, what happens? Well, you, you pull out your wallet and you, you give something. If, uh, and you're hoping that when you open your wallet, it's just the perfect bill, right? You, you don't want it to be too small because that would look goofy, but you don't want that bill to be too big because that would be crazy. And so you just hope that whatever you pull out is just right, you know. And so we have this idea sometimes, well, you know, I'll give. I've had a great week. God's been good. Uh, I'll tip him something. I'll give when the Spirit moves me. But here's the thing. I'm not committed. There's a difference. Paul says, God loves a cheerful giver. I'm going to tell you a secret. God loves people who aren't cheerful givers too. But what he doesn't want us to be is to learn to simply give out of feeling. Because if I preached, and I preached well enough, I could make you feel guilty. I'd do that really well if I wanted to and try. The problem is, guilt eventually goes away, and so would your motivation to give. Paul says, don't give under compulsion. So, so that's not what these series of messages are about, because I'm still not living in the kingdom we don't want to be just giving because of guilt you know I've told you this story before but the IRS has a conscience fund where you can anonymously if your conscience is bothering you make you've been cheating on taxes you can give to the IRS well, one time they got a, a, a note that read dear IRS I've been cheating on you on my taxes for years my conscience is bothering me I can't sleep at night Enclosed, please find a check for $1,000. And if my conscience doesn't feel better, I'll send you the rest. <laughs> if we simply give when we feel like it, think about it, that's the way the world gives. That's, that's the way the world gives. The Bible has a different kind of message. We talked about this a, a few weeks ago. Paul is writing to the church in 1 Corinthians 16. He simply said this. He said, now about the collection, the offering for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. This is for all churches. 
On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections have to be made. Now, what we learn there is this, that giving ought to be regular, it ought to be systematic, it ought to be proportional in keeping with our income, and it ought to be intentional. We're saving it up. We're storing it up so that we can give. In other words, a part of being a Christian, a part of being a disciple of Jesus is to learn to, to walk in a way that I can give and do it regularly. And let me tell you, if we take that step, it, it allows us then to start saying, okay, how proportional, where do I give? How do I do that? And it takes us to the next level. And the next level of giving, it seems to me, is tithing. I want to talk about tithing in the context of our campaign because this is really important for our church and for following Jesus. If you study the tithing principle, you'll see that it's talked about quite a bit in the Bible. It goes way back to, to Genesis and Leviticus, and I'm not going to take you all through the whole history, but the people of God would bring a tithe. Now, what is a tithe? Because someone will say to me, well, I tithe $5 this week. Well, that's a tithe if you only made $50, but giving $5 is not truly a tithe unless it's actually 10% of what you made. To tithe means I give 10% of my income that God has blessed me with. But wait a second, pastor, and I've heard this and I've wrestled with this. Wasn't, wasn't tithing part of the Old Testament law and when Jesus came, we were free from the law? Well, Jesus never says, now that I've come, you don't need to tithe. In fact, however, he does mention tithing. In, in the Gospel of Matthew, he says, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe, even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. So notice here, Jesus says tithing isn't bad. Tithing is a very good thing. You ought to do it, but it's not the only thing. There are some people who will tithe and give and not care about love and working to see up there come down here. But we in this room, think about how much more we have than an Old Testament person ever could have dreamed. Never mind the material things we enjoy, but think about the fact they had all the promises of God. We have all the promises of God that have been made real. Jesus Christ came, he died and, and freed us from sin. He rose again, he's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's given us the church, one another, as Dave spoke this morning, we have been given so much. We have the hope of heaven and life eternal. Listen, we can afford to be generous because we know that God has been generous to us. And if you want to know where generosity starts, it starts about 10%. That's where a generous spirit starts. Now, let me ask you, what does all that have to do with our campaign? Listen, everyone, if everyone in our church was already giving 
at the level of a tithe, truth is we wouldn't need to do a campaign. I'm kind of sorry we have to do a campaign. And I really struggled. I said, Lord, I don't want to do this. I don't have to go through this. This is hard because it makes people uncomfortable and it's challenging. It's challenging for me. It's challenging for so many others. But here's the thing, and this is what uh, in my praying and thinking through this, I realized a campaign like this gives each of us an opportunity to take stock and evaluate our own level of giving and commitment. What's the measure I'm using? A campaign like this might be your opportunity to actually step into tithing or giving a percentage of your income, to step into committing a portion on a regular, consistent basis, and you've never done that before. In other words, one of the reasons I guess I got excited about this and started thinking differently about it is this is a good thing because this campaign has the capacity to help us grow in Jesus, to grow in generosity, to grow in faith and love. And I guess that's not a bad thing. Well, some people have said, well, pastor, I gave the last time, in 2016. And boy, was that amazing to see how the Lord provided and, and we gave as a church. And I want to say for those of you who did give, thank you, amen. And I would challenge you, did God bless you? He did me. We were just starting at that point to put four of our children into college. If you know our family, we had four children, one after the other, a year and a half apart. We were just starting the rigmarole of getting them into college, and that's a big deal, and it's expensive, and I'm still not done with that. And God said, but Jeff, I want you to be one of the top 10 givers in the church for that series to raise a million dollars in the last campaign. I said, Lord, what? Are you kidding me? Do you see the, the math? God, I don't know how I can do this. But we did. And God provided. And I'd like to tell you, I made such great sacrifices. I didn't. I may be wrong, but I don't think we had anyone in our church give to such an extent that they got thrown out of their houses or didn't have enough to eat. Apparently, it didn't happen. And by the way, though, think about it. If you give so much, what a great way to enter the kingdom of heaven. Can you imagine showing up into heaven and saying, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry I'm early. But I just got caught up in this generosity thing and gave away so much, and I didn't have anything to eat, and, and yet here I am, Lord. Can, can you feed me? Didn't happen. We tend to think, we tend to think, Pastor, Lord, I can't imagine. I have a hard enough time living on 100% of what I make. What would, it, what would it possibly be like to try to live on 90%? But listen, God is not asking us ever to just live and make it on 90%. God is saying to us, trust me with that 10% or whatever percentage you come up with and then see what you and I can do with the rest together see that's where faith and commitment come in it's trust 
You, you cannot understand the value of money if money is your greatest value. No, you've got to make something else priority. There's an old saying, 20 bucks is 20 bucks. Kind of a goofy story, but there's this old couple named Pete and Maud. They go to a carnival and there's this pilot giving uh, plane rides on his old biplane. And he says, uh, I'll take you up for 20 bucks a piece. And Pete really wants to go, but Maud is not interested. And she says, no, 20 bucks is 20 bucks. I don't want to go. Well, the pilot says, you, you know what? Here's what I'll do. I will take you up in this plane. If you don't whine, if you don't say a word, the ride is on me. But if you make a sound, you each have to pay 20 bucks. So they both get into the old biplane. The pilot takes him up into the sky. He goes around and around, not a peep out of them. He, 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 he uh, uh, is, is doing barrel rolls and somersaults and all kinds of loop-de-loops. And, and round and round he goes, and he finally lands the plane, and he says, guys, that was amazing. That was the most daring ride I could have possibly given you. I can't believe it. I didn't hear a sound. You didn't make a peep. Pete says, well, when Maud fell out, I thought about saying something. <laughs> but 20 bucks is 20 bucks. <laughs> I'm glad you thought that was funny. I did too. <laughs> Except here's the thing. 20 bucks is 20 bucks. But followers of Jesus, do we believe this or do we not? Five loaves and two fishes are five loaves and two fishes except when we give them to Jesus. There's a difference. They're not just five loaves and two fishes anymore. I've seen it again and again. I don't know how he's going to take care of us this time. I just believe he will. God says in Malachi, test me in this. But there is one more level of giving and I would be remiss if I didn't mention it. Sacrificial giving. I was in the atrium last Sunday after church I'd preached and last, uh, last week a young lady in our church came up to me and said, Pastor, I think I can only give about $20 a week. I said, sweetheart, thank you. That, that's, it was humbling just to hear her say that. And then she said this to me, I only make about $75 a week. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I couldn't help but instantly think about Jesus in the temple and the offering is coming and people are, are giving and some of them are parading how much they're giving and then a widow comes forward and she puts in two of the smallest coins that they printed in those days. And he said to his disciples, she's given more than everybody else because she trusted God in everything. I want to be like that. I want to be more like that. I'm not there yet. But I, I, I want to ask you, have you ever given to the level of the pain point where it pinches you? This is a hard place to come. A lot of us don't ever make it there. But when was the last time you gave where it meant, you know, I can't buy that. 
I'm not going to take that vacation. I can't go there right now. Maybe someday, but I, I can't do that right now because I've made a commitment. A commitment that's higher. I love God. I love his church. I care about others. I care about faith for the next generation. Because here's the deal. Money doesn't love you. Money didn't die for you on the cross. Money can't save you. But God loves you. And God sent his son to die on the cross. And God will save you. It's his promise to you. Isn't it interesting that so many of us will say, I'll trust him for my eternity, but I'm not going to trust him with my finances. This is a challenge. I know it. And it's not easy. But I'm going to tell you, you take that step. And it's one of those steps that God calls us to grow in as we become his disciples. And in that step, we become free more than acquiring and getting more stuff ever will because give and it will be given to you. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know the truth about us. You know, God, that we are just so easily scared when it comes to finances. We see the culture and the challenges financially in our world, rising prices, inflation, the uh, risk of recession. We wrap our security and identity and our worth and our peace and our satisfaction in what we have and our lifestyles. But thank you, God, this morning we are reminded of this, that you are a trustworthy God, that you are a generous God, and that you love to give. Help us to be more like you. Help us to trust you more. Help us to learn that kind of generosity that we would give in good measure and be willing to make a commitment to that end. Help us to follow Jesus with courage, trust, conviction. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.